Hey, I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean Podcast. This is episode two. Today's topic, why I am not a socialist. And you may say, Marty, we assume that you are not a socialist. You are from South Georgia. You speak with a Southern accent. You say that you're a Christian minister. So we just automatically made an assumption that you were pretty far away from being a socialist. Well, I feel the need to explain why I'm not a socialist. Why? Because socialism is growing in America. It is amazing the number of people that are embracing socialism. As a matter of fact, recent surveys said that 43% of Americans say that socialism would be good for our nation. Additionally, 47% of Americans say that they would vote for a socialist for president. I don't know about you, but that's kind of startling to me. When you really know what socialism is, you know what it means to the fabric of our nation, that is kind of startling. That means that Bernie Sanders, if he could ever get the nomination from the Democratic Party, he might would have a chance. But it doesn't look like he's going to get it again. So, Bernie, nice try for a second time in a row, but I'm glad uh, you will not even have a possibility of becoming president. Now, why in the world would I have such strong feelings about socialism? Well, it started when I was five years old. I didn't know what socialism was, but an experience that I had let me know this is not the type of stuff I want. I was in kindergarten, five-year-old boy, Jack and Jill kindergarten, Vidalia, Georgia, getting close to Easter. We had an Easter egg hunt. I remember when I went out to hunt the Easter eggs, out in the play area, there was a fence. And I looked, and on top of every creosole fence post, and at the base, there was an egg. They hid one on every fence post, and at the base of every fence post. We were in kindergarten, but they hid the eggs like we were in preschool. And so I saw the eggs, and I went and I put them all in my basket. I had a lot of eggs. And then when it was all over, we went inside. And I'll I'll never forget, they did not ask me for my eggs. They confiscated my eggs. They took my eggs. They didn't ask. And I'll never forget, they took those eggs, and they cracked them open chopped them up, put them in a bowl, and they made egg salad sandwiches. That is not a memorable event in a good way. For a five-year-old boy to have somebody take his eggs and then to make stinky egg salad sandwiches. My eggs were confiscated. They were given to others. Now, if they would have asked me, I'm sure, as a polite well-raised five-year-old boy, I would have said, sure, you can have my eggs. But they took the eggs, and they made egg salad sandwiches. That was my experience. Obviously, you may think I'm still working to get over it. Maybe I am. But it let me know, as I think back on it, that's just not right. Now, some would say, why should you have all the eggs? Why can't we take the eggs and feed everybody? Well, I found them. They were my eggs. Now, if you want me to share, I'm more than happy to share. But something about having stuff taken from you, confiscated, that's kind of how it works in socialism. They're about equal distribution. 
Some would say equal outcome. But be that what it is, there's a whole aspect of what they would say, equality. Now, let me give you a, what I would say, a good definition of socialism. Of course, I don't get this out of thin air. I have to look this stuff up to make sure I can give you some precise wording. So here we go. Uh, it's an economic and political theory advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods is what you would call a planned economy. It promotes equality. Everyone works toward the same goal. Workers receive wages and they spend as they choose. Now, some would say, what's wrong with that? Well, what about incentive? What about hard work? It puts everybody at the same level. I don't believe that's how life operates. I believe you have people who have different abilities, different tendencies, and not everybody has the same capacity. And inevitably what's going to happen in a socialist society, I would think, when you have just strict socialism, is your production is not going to be what it could be. You're not going to produce as you could. And you're going to make everybody equal, but as some would say, you know, you're going to make them equally miserable. Now, there's some variations of socialism in our day-to-day, -day, and I, I want to make sure that I acknowledge that. Um, but it's like Margaret Thatcher and her famous quote on socialism. It works really good until you run out of other people's money. Now, I would like to compare the socialism to capitalism. A good definition of capitalism is it's an economic system based on private ownership of the means of production and their operation for profit. Private individuals and enterprises own the means of production and the right to profit from them. It is a market economy driven by the law of supply and demand. The market determines the value of stocks, bonds, and commodities. It fosters competition and ingenuity produces wealth. Some would say some of the dangers of capitalism is that you do have the potential for a boom and bust. There are monopolies that have to be dealt with at times, and you can have crony capitalism, which is not good. But many would say that uh, capitalism is most associated with Christianity. And as a matter of fact, an economist from a bygone time, Max Weber, he coined the phrase the Protestant work ethic. There's a lot of personal motivation with with capitalism. The father of capitalism would be considered Adam Smith. He wrote the book, The Wealth of Nations. And here's kind of a summation of that, just in one sentence, as capitalism involves the free exchange of goods and services by individuals motivated by their own self-interest. So you do have a self-interest when it comes to capitalism. Why? Because there's a reward based upon my effort. There's a reward based upon how much I'm willing to sacrifice, and there is the potential that I could acquire wealth that will help me better my life and the life of my family. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we, you know, we'll delve into some of this a little bit later, but that is a good working definition of capitalism. So you can see how capitalism and socialism would be at odds. And as a matter of fact, socialism really got the big push in the middle 1800s 
from none other than Karl Marx. Of course, he wrote the Communist Manifesto. And I know there is a difference between socialism and communism. Uh, Marx viewed socialism as just the transitional step from capitalism to communism. In Marx's, Karl Marx's view, uh, you had the working class, the proletariat, and you had the owners, the bourgeoisie, and there was odd. They were at odds with one another. The proletariat needed to do away with the bourgeoisie. There, need there needed to be the capital given to the workers. The bourgeoisie, according to Marx, controlled the proletariat through religion. That's one of the ways that they would exercise control. That is why Karl Marx would say that religion is the opiate of the masses. So there's this envy, this class warfare, and that's one of the things, one of the problems I have with socialism is I do believe that it does promote envy. Some would say in socialism that the only reason why somebody has something is because they disadvantaged someone else. They have taken from someone else. It's not that they worked hard. It's not that they played by the rules. It's not that they invested and took risk. It's that they disadvantaged someone else. Now we have to take it to, from them and redistribute it to, to others. There is a quote from Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. She says, quote, nobody ever makes a billion dollars you take a billion dollars. In other words, you didn't make that business. You didn't do that. Somebody else helped you, and you obviously have disadvantaged someone else if you have acquired a certain level of wealth. Now, that's a problem. So let me say, as far as economics go, you can read all this stuff on what kind of an economy we have. Of course, we would be considered capitalistic, but we do have some socialistic-type uh, aspects of our economy. Some would say it'd be a, it would be a mixed economy. Uh, you have Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. The Postal Service is government-run, and it always runs in a deficit for the most part. Um, you have presidents like Woodrow Wilson, FDR, uh, President Obama, who brought in more socialism into our capitalistic uh, society, our culture, our nation. And so although we are a capitalist nation, uh, we do have some vestiges of socialism. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you have some former communists and socialist nations. They still are, but uh, they have made some major alterations. Uh, obviously, China has made some free market reforms. Uh, some would call them a, uh, how do they put it, totalitarian capitalist nation. Uh, of course, they are totalitarian. Uh, they do have some reforms that allow a certain measure of capitalist uh, functioning in their society, but they can, they can change that anytime they would like. India has also gone from heavy socialism. They've done some reforms, and you can see both of their economies have, have really taken off. So, but here we are in America, and we are looking at incorporating more aspects of socialism, which means we will have more and more government control. And you always have to remember, the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. If you want a big government, you're going to be a small, small citizen.
Why? Because it, be, it becomes not about the individual, but about the collective whole. And you're just part of the whole, and that's what matters. So if you want a big government, you've got to be content that you're going to be a small citizen. Now, I have some personal experience with some of this socialism. Uh, a few years ago, I was asked by state television in Finland to come be the guest representative of American evangelicals for a documentary series they were doing called The Norden. And I represented American evangelicals, more particularly Southern Baptists, more particularly uh, somebody from either Alabama or Georgia. They wanted somebody, I think, with the accent, somebody that thought might not be too too educated. It's kind of my perception. I could be wrong. But, you know, it's kind of stereotypical. And so I went over there, and I, I was immersed in the culture of the Nordic nations for a week. Went to places such as uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, Stockholm, Sweden, Uppsala, Sweden, uh, Helsinki, Finland. Was immersed in the culture, did all kinds of man-on-the-street interviews. And one of the things that amazed me over there is how much they really loved their government. I mean, they were all in. They have made some major reforms over in the Nordic nations. They have what's called the Nordic model or the third way. Kind of combines aspects of socialism and capitalism. They have a low corporate income tax. You have a high personal income tax. You have a value-added tax that is what some would say a regressive tax. Everybody's going to pay it, 25% tax on goods. And in return, you get basically cradle-to-the-grave service by the government. As a matter of fact, I was told when I was over there that in Finland, when you have a baby, the first person that will visit your home will be a state worker to make sure that you're able to care for your child. Now, can you imagine you have a baby, you go home, and the next day somebody knocks on that door and it's defects, and they want to come in and they want to examine your house ask you a bunch of questions to determine whether or not you are able to take care of your child. That, you know, no offense to the rapper, but that's ludicrous. You, you, can't, you can't do that. that. That's not American, we would say. And you understand that in the founding of our nation, we had a suspicion of government. We have the three co-equal branches of government to keep one another in check. We had... You remember, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In other words, we get our rights from God, and it's government's responsibility not to infringe upon our rights. That our rights are not conferred upon us by government, but they are given to us innately by God. And government's responsibility is to not infringe upon our God given rights. So that's how we as Americans from our founding have approached the role of government. But here it is, 21st century, we have more and more people who are saying, hey, we want a bigger government. We want government to take more and more care of us. Which means when government takes more and more care of you, it means you have less and less liberty. And you've got to be willing to live with that. If you want a bigger government, you have to be willing to live with less liberty. Now, you, you look at all this stuff, blueprints of how 
regimes have taken control in the past and you see the the steps that they take and you see what certain people are trying to push in our nation and all kinds of bells go off. And, and you know, I believe in the Second Amendment. I, I, I own a gun. I don't have a problem with that. I want to defend my family if I have to. I don't want to have to defend. If you know, I hope the situation does not arise. But when people always are talking about we need to confiscate guns, we need to confiscate guns. And I look into, you know, look. I just read history and see, man, it doesn't end well when the government starts confiscating guns. I mean, you can go from Hitler to Chavez. That just doesn't just doesn't end well. So. I believe that we've got certain God-given rights, and they are guaranteed in America through our Constitution. Now, some would say erroneously that, hey, doesn't the Bible advocate communism or at least socialism in the book of Acts? And they'll, they'll say, hey, didn't the early church, didn't they buy and, you know, didn't they sell their their land and their goods in order to have a common pool that they would help one another who was in need? Well, let me read a passage. Um, Acts chapter 4, verses 34. It says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone has need. So someone would take that and say, hey, didn't the early church practice communal, you know, a form of communism? The answer is absolutely not. The church was just getting launched. It was getting started. They were under persecution. They had to stick together. They willingly, of their free will, of their own accord, sold possessions or houses and they pulled their money together to take care of one another. They did it willingly. And you know why they did it? For the gospel. Now, I don't think the church, I don't, let me say, I don't think the government wants to promote the gospel. And I, I don't think that people will willingly give up their money at their houses to just give to the government. This was for the purpose of spreading the gospel. This was for the purpose of eternity. That is why the early church had that form of what people say communism, which it's not. It was willingly, it was for the sake of the gospel. Now, let me say this. There are ways that people are trying to promote or advocate for socialism and it's kind of a hidden agenda. Now, I'm going to say something. It may make some people a little bit miffed or, you know, whatever, but I'm, I'm going to go there anyway. A lot of this global warming stuff, I hope you realize, is for the purpose of redistribution of wealth. You remember the Kyoto Protocol? It was in order to combat global warming. You know it exempted China, India, and Brazil, and it really stuck it to the United States. It was not going to be good. Of course, we, didn't, we weren't a part of that. You also had the Paris Agreement that was, was not going to do what it needed to do. 
and it was not going to be to the United States economic advantage to do it. And also, there's a lot of suspicion around the science of global warming. Just like the models with the coronavirus were wrong, the models with global warming have not proven as accurate or as real as some would lead us to believe. As a matter of fact, we hear phrases like, the world's going to end in 12 years. Uh, we have the inconvenient truth. Glaciers are going to melt. Ocean levels are going to rise. And you say, Marty, do you, believe in, do you believe in global warming? Well, I believe in climate change. For instance, from 900 to 1300 AD, there was a warming period. Now, this predates the Industrial Revolution. So you didn't have all the carbon dioxide being produced and all that. You didn't have, you didn't have the greenhouse emissions. But yet there was warming. From 1450 to 1850, there's a little ice age. And many would say a lot of the warming and cooling are associated more with the solar activity. Now, do I believe that there may be some aspects of man's activity that could affect the environment? Of course. Do I believe that uh, the environment does change, climate does change? Of course. It's changed in the past, even before the Industrial Revolution. Can man have an influence? I, I, would, I would think so. I don't know to what extent, but I know that people have an agenda with this. So how do you know that? Well, I've got some quotes. Always have your quotes, okay? Once again, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is one that that she's one of the advocates of the Green New Deal, which some would say would cost $93 trillion. That's more than the, a lot more than the stimulus we've been doling out lately. But here's what her chief of staff, chief of staff Soykhan Chakrabarty, said, quote, about the Green New Deal. He says, the interesting thing about the Green New Deal is it wasn't originally a climate thing at all. We really think of it as a how-do-you-change-the-entire-economy thing. Oh, Green New Deal is not about the climate, but it's about changing the entire economy. Interesting. Now, I'll give you another quote. In 2011, one of the United Nations' top climate officials, German economist Otmar Edenhofer, here's what he said, quote, One must say clearly that we redistribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. Whoa. So we're going to redistribute the world's wealth, and we're going to do it under the guise of climate policy. Now, all the way back in 1988, there's a former Canadian minister of the environment. Here's what he said. No matter if the science of global warming is all phony, climate change provides the greatest opportunity to bring about justice and equality in the world. So in other words, we're going to use climate change as the vehicle to usher in economic change to have a redistribution of wealth. Let me say, I'm all for clean water. I'm all for clean air. I, 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 don't, I don't want to drink polluted water. I don't want to breathe dirty air. I, I saw the China Syndrome when it came out with Jane Fonda. I saw it at the movie theaters. I remember Three Mile Island, Chernobyl. I know about Love Canal. I know about the Superfund sites. I don't want that stuff. Hey, I like clean energy. But you 
do not need to use climate change as a means to bring about economic redistribution of wealth. And inevitably what will happen is that nations will have to cut their use of energy, fossil fuels, and go to clean energy, which is not efficient. And a lot of times you, you look at some of the cleanup and the pollutants that are associated with some of the, quote, clean energy, and it's sometimes not as clean as you think it would be. But there have been, you know, some good progress in making energy production cleaner. And I think that's a really good thing. And, and let me say this, too. As far as socialism goes and uh, the environment, why don't, you do, why don't you do a little bit of homework and do some study on how, how environmental-friendly uh, the communists and the socialist nations actually are. They're not really that friendly to the environment. They're not. So I view a lot of the climate change as a way to alter uh, the economic future of the United States of America. It's, it's about economic redistribution. Now, it does not mean that there aren't people that are sincere in that pursuit of a better environment. Hey, I, I want a better environment. But here, here, herein, lies, herein lies the difference. Herein lies the difference. And I'll read this to you. I believe that we have been created in the image of God. And I also believe that we have been given a, a stewardship over creation. Some would call it the creation mandate. Let me read Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So man is told, you have dominion. You are a steward of this planet. And I believe that God wants us to be a good steward. I believe he wants us to take care of the land. You look in the Old Testament, how he told children of Israel, how they were to care for the land, how they were to care for animals. I believe we should care for the animals. I believe we should care for the land. I believe we should be good to the environment. But man is not an intruder on planet Earth. We are the caretakers of planet Earth. We have been put here by God. We have actually been created in the image of God. And someone say, well, what do you mean by being created in the image of God? What exactly does it mean to be created in the image of God. Well, it means that man is unique from all other forms of creation. We have a mind, will, and an emotion. We have a personality, because, and because God's endowed us with his communicable attributes, we have been made to have a relationship with him. Also, we're a moral agent. We're capable of making moral choices. Unlike the animals who are driven by their instincts, man has a will to choose between right and wrong. We have a conscience. Also, God has given us mental capabilities. We can reason, and we can exercise creativity. It's part of that creation mandate, to fill the earth and subdue it, which means that man can acquire knowledge, and we can turn this knowledge into technology in order to improve life. The reason why we do that is because we've been created in the image of God. That's why we're different from all other aspects of creation.
That's why we can make life better. As somebody has once said, uh, you don't see a gorilla university. You don't see the birds building better bird nests. You don't have an underwater dolphin hospital. God's put us as caretakers of this earth, and we're to be good to the environment. So I just wanted to say that because I know some people use the environment to try to redistribute the world's resources, to redistribute the wealth of the world. And it's a, it's a guise. Not, does not mean everybody's not sincere. Does not mean that we don't need to do stuff to the environment. Now, I am not a socialist. I do not believe in a big government like that. I believe in liberty and freedom. I believe that the United States of America, as it's been founded, affords us that liberty. Has America always been perfect? No. No. We've made some mistakes, and we've had to correct them. I'm sure we're going to have to continue to correct some mistakes. But I believe that capitalism gives people liberty, gives people opportunity to provide. I also believe that you have people who are able to give the nonprofits, and that we can do charitable deeds, uh, that we can help people out of our own volition, of our own free will. I'm not a socialist. Now, I know there's a lot more that I could say about socialism, but uh, I just wanted to give you a, a few words about it and to be able to let you know that I'm not a socialist. I'm not a socialist because they took my eggs and they made egg salad sandwiches. Hey, I want to thank you so much for being with me today for the Marty McLean podcast. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to being with you next week. God bless you and have a great week.